by minutes, project number five. It's Silverado this time, that's no jive. By Lawrence Kasdan, who wrote the show. Best saddle up now, kids, cause here we go! Howdy and welcome back to another episode of the Silverado Minute Podcast. Each week, Movies by Minute hosts examine the 1985 Lawrence Kasdan-directed Western Silverado, one minute of screen time per episode. My name is Dino Carroll. I'm a playwright. I'm the author of such plays as Back to the 80s, a risky, goony, breakfasty tale of totally tubular time travel, Marvelous Squad, a superheroic tale with a vengeance, and Miss Kim's Class and the Book Reports of Destiny because uh, apparently I don't know how to write plays with short titles. Today we're going to be talking about minute lucky number 113 of Silverado, and boy, do I have some great guests today. If you know anything about Philadelphia Theater, you'll know my first guest as the artistic director of the Inishnua Theater Company. And if you have ever heard an ad for one of the Star Wars shows on Disney+, Plus, you're going to recognize the voice of my other guest, Steve French, voiceover master extraordinaire. Even if you don't recognize his voice, you're going to realize the moment you hear it why he has a career as a voiceover artist, because uh, his voice is just that awesome. The three of us, uh, many years ago, entertained children in western Massachusetts with outdoor children's theater, which was uh, exhausting and, uh, and very hot and uh, the time of our lives. But enough about that. Let's start this conversation. <laughs> All right. Oh, I have got two excellent guests today. These are two old friends of mine. We worked together in Summerstock Theater literally 20 years ago. And both of these gentlemen have gone on to great things. Uh, first up, we have the, uh, the founder and um, an artistic director of the Enish Nua Theater Company out of Philadelphia. We've got Tom Ring. How are you doing, Tom? Pretty good, thanks. And it's Inishnua, by the way. Inishnua, pardon me. I, I normally say it right, and then this time I did. So my apologies <laughs> there. Inishnua. Thank yep. you. Now, what, now, now that it, we've said it, now what does, what does Inishnua mean? Inishnua means New Island in, Irish, in the Irish language. And we produce contemporary plays from Ireland, England, Scotland, and Wales. Originally, I was just going to do Ireland. I was like, oh, no, hang on. Uh, let's do, like, the whole, all four cultures. And that's actually become a boon, like a really oh. good idea. As a person of Irish extraction, the, uh, the, the quick line's like, oh, so people from the U.K. pushing their way into Ireland's business yet again, huh? <laughs> no, I mean, yes and no. Uh, but, like, uh, like, I go to the Edinburgh Festival, Fringe Festival every year, and I'm, I'm uh, now kind of a, a regular there. Uh, I get invited to the celebrate, like, the culture's all uh, have, like, to-dos. And so I go to the Irish uh, reception. I go to the English reception, Scottish and Welsh. Uh, Ireland and England have champagne, uh, I guess whiskey. Um, <laughs> Scotland has scotch whiskey. Wales 
has a cooler full of canned beer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't think I could identify a, a, a Welsh national drink. Uh, yeah, interesting that they, they've, they, they've dropped the ball on that. <laughs> and my second guest is you know him as the, uh, as the host of the Unsolved Mysteries podcast. You know him as the voice of Match Game. You know him as the voice of promos for uh, the Star Wars shows on Disney+. Plus. It's Steve French. Thank you very much. No, it's actually pronounced Dishney Plus. Oh, uh, right. yes. uh... <laughs> <laughs> it's weird branding. It's really, 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 they're leading people astray. Yes. <laughs> yes, he's, he's, he's actually, yes, the Mandalorian. Yes. The Mandalorian. Yes. Yeah. I had a guy, I, I got an, had an interview with the guy up in Maine, actually, whose name is Larry, and he started referring to the guy. Yeah, you do that Mandalorian show. So, uh... <laughs> Whatever. It's so great to see you both. What a what a lovely treat. This, this is, is great. Yes, it was it was it a is, long yeah. time ago. We all we all uh, all had more hair. We all uh, had uh, had had uh, <laughs> a lot of miles ahead of us uh, back in, uh, in those days. Um. So uh, now, uh, in addition to being excited about talking to uh, to uh, two old friends again, I'm also excited because this is the first episode that I've I've done of this where actually both of my guests have seen the movie. And Tom, you were telling me that you actually uh, grew up with this movie, or at least it was part of your youth. Yes. Um, like, my dad loved westerns, like black and white westerns and John Wayne films. And uh, Silverado, I didn't see in the theater. I saw it on HBO. And HBO, like, when it had it, like, months later ran it constantly, and so it was always on. And, of course, it was like uh, a new Western, and my dad was like, oh, we have to watch this. <laughs> and so I would do my homework and hear, uh, oh, Silverado's on, or, or do chores and hear Scott Glenn and Danny Glover in the background. And that score, that score's got to be very, you know, yeah. it's got to make, uh, you know, you know, so good. sweeping up uh, uh, dust much more exciting when you got that. <laughs> now, how about you, Steve? Did you grow up with, uh, now, you were new to this movie, but did you grow up with, uh, with Westerns in general? Or were, were they a part of your youth? Not Cowboys so did? much. No, I mean, they were, they were sort of around occasionally. And my dad was one of, my, my father also was one of nine children. And he always t- told stories about, watching like kung fu movies and how in the break they'd all get up and karate chop each other you know so we watched kind of a lot of old things and my dad had a seven brides for seven brothers is sort of a western musical yeah, yeah, I suppose. Okay. But, but my dad who's not a theater person or an actor has this really sneaky talent for knowing like every line to the music man or seven brides for seven brothers so we watched some of those things but this movie delightfully was was brand new to me so i, I mean how fun to discover almost you know like a 35 year old uh 34 year old it, it was a nice discovery movie. and you know and, and you can there's you know so much of it is Footprints of things that I already knew and loved. You know, uh, Lawrence Kasdan, you know, he has you know, a certain bag of tricks, so you can see elements of Indiana Jones in this. A young, you know, Kevin Klein doing his thing. Yeah, you know, the right, incredible right. cast. Um, and you know, all my guests have been uh, have been raving about seeing young Kevin Costner being young and, and boyish and, and roguish, um, rather than you know, because this is this is maybe two years before Untouchables, three years before Bull Durham and where he's already like, you know, the veteran, the crusty old guy. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. Before he becomes like somehow one of the biggest movie stars on the planet, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Really cool to see him like with a totally cool energy and, you know, 
still somehow him, but yeah, totally different. So yeah, this is you guys are definitely enforcing sort of my theory that whatever we got of westerns growing up probably came from uh, our parents who got so much more uh, westerns. You know, who if they grew up in the early days of, of TV, there were tons of westerns. Um, so there was you know new stuff like you know like Lone Ranger, Bonanza, you know uh, all of that. But also probably you know just in those early days of just filling up TV hours, there was to show tons of old westerns from the 30s and 40s. Uh, on TV during the day, and we're getting stuff you know secondhand from our our parents who were in turns getting a sort of secondhand too for right. them. Right, right, right. Yeah. Now, yeah. Steve, you know, you of course are also in a way a part of the uh, uh, the the biggest Western of the past couple of years, The Mandalorian, and that you do these voiceovers uh, for it. People have always said that Star Wars, you know, and, and Star Trek are both westerns, but with Mandalorian, it's really writ large. Yeah. Oh, yes. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and you know, it uh, has uh, uh, hints of samurai films and, you know, the whole thing. Yeah. I mean, it's, a, it's just cool, right? There's, there's so many cool aspects about it. But when you watch it now and you watch something like Silverado or you push farther back to something else, you realize like, oh, this is, this is well-trod. This, this desert, desert sand has been well-trod, right, by, by many horses that have come before. But putting a new spin on it and it, it works, right? I mean, why do, like you're saying, why do these generations keep coming back to this to this uh, fodder. I mean, I, I, I watching this last night, it was like, yeah, this is what people love about America, right? And the Wild West. And there's something, you know, uh, without getting too heavy about it, but there's something about gun culture, right? I mean, like this idea that everyone gets to put on their strap on their six guns and, and take the law into their own hands. I mean, this is what we all sort of in this country have grown up with is this m- mythical idea of men who rode the West and, and made their own way and carved a path for themselves. And, so yeah, I mean, doing something like The Mandalorian, uh, it's really neat to see what's come before it. What what are the archetypes that work? What are the sort of the images that become iconic that you can kind of transplant into any piece of content these days? And we we'll, we we understand it, right? We understand that lone, literally, that Lone Ranger, whoever he might be. Absolutely. I mean, I suppose like even like you know the 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 minutes that we're discussing you know they it's a bunch of heroes getting together to ride in to save a kid that's how season 2 of mandalorian ended it, it, you your mention of gun culture brings us to sort of the first moment of uh, of this minute which is uh so we start off with um Kevin Klein as Payton uh is uh, has been trying to warn Mal that Hoyt is sneaking up behind him Mal is Danny Glover uh Hoyt is uh some guy whose name I cannot recall at the moment there's too much chaos going on so he uses the the most direct method of communicating with him he shoots close to his head <laughs> now, that is really like you know let let your guns do your talking for you you know made as literal as uh, as possible and um, and i love that he's able to he looks he looks back over to him he like he points the gun right with something that all the characters are amazing in this is turning quickly and identifying within a, a fraction of a second who the person that just shot at them is. I mean, you know, in that moment that Danny Glover could say, wait a minute. Oh, wait, you're good. You're cool. You're cool. Oh, oh, you're oh, that was just a warning shot. Oh, oh it's <laughs> my friend. Yeah. It's my beard, my bearded friend with a black hat on that looks, ex- you know, exactly yeah. like the 17 other guys. <laughs> yes, here, the dozens of other men dressed yeah. exactly the same way. Yeah, yeah. I'm the only person of color on this entire ranch. <laughs> right, and- right. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, I think that you you could read that as uh, as a, a, a toxic uh, love of, of of guns and, and weaponry. Um, but I think if you go into this movie, you know, looking at it that way, you're, there's no way to enjoy it. If you go into you no. know, this is going to no, embrace no. you know tropes of the genre, you have to to to, to let that kind of stuff uh, just be what it is. 
Right. Um, so then, so Hoyt, uh, or rather Mal, um, you know, figures out what's going on, spins around and shoots Hoyt. Um, and, uh, and Hoyt is the man who killed his father. So he gets, he gets his revenge where, um, you know, we're, we're heading into the climax of the movie. Every one of the four main characters essentially gets a moment of, of revenge against, you know, the villain who wronged them the most. This is the first one. Um, and it happens so fast without much in the real way of real confrontation. Um, in fact, uh, the, in the screenplay that, uh, that I have, the stage direction is without knowing it, Mal avenges his father's murder. Hoyt is blown off the roof. Um, yeah, is that at all disappointing that that he doesn't get a sort of more you know meaningful uh, confrontation with uh, with Hoyt? I don't know. I in some ways I I do think it's a, it's not uh, like it's not you know my name is Montoya Montalban. <laughs> you killed my father. Prepared to die. Um, type of thing, but like, again, as the, the script says, he unknowingly avenge, avenges his father's death. Alright, so uh, so he shoots him, I guess he, he actually, you know, must be the fall that killed him, he seems to shoot him in the thigh, and he just sort of falls yeah. off the top of the, uh, the ranch house. Right. Uh, right after that, we cut to uh, Jake, uh, Kevin Costner's Jake, riding out on the, uh, the Pinto, the horse which has uh, had some significance throughout the, uh, the course of the movie, um, he rides, um, you know, two, guns in each hand, guns a-blazing, uh, rides up onto the veranda around the house, shoots out some windows for reasons that I'm not for entirely no certain why he does that. I yeah. mean... You know, yes. Yeah. Uh, what was that? that? That was two questionable things that I want to bring up. Yeah. I, I don't want to derail, de- derail no, your, your, yeah. your recap here, but when I first saw the... the I mean, it's, this minute is sort of fascinating because I watched the minute that you sent before I watch the whole thing. Oh, interesting. And I don't want to uh, cast aspersions on uh, the great Lawrence Kasdan here, but when I first watched this minute, I thought perhaps this movie might be a parody of a Western. (laughs) Because one, Danny Glover shoots the guy just by kind of leaping out and, and boom, and the guy falls. And then Kevin Costner does this thing where He's got this, both guns out, and the no hands leap up onto the porch is clearly a very, like, specialized move that, that he's able to, that I picked up. And it just seemed, I was like, wow, we're pulling out every, like, Western trick in the book here. No, look, Ma, no hands. Yeah. Um, and then when I watched it again, I thought, oh, right, he just, for some reason, shoots out all the windows? I don't quite know. Like, the, I, I, like the kid could be in there, right? The kid could be... Right, yeah, does he think that out. there are people in there who, yeah, who are, who are, are, are dangerous, but, you know... Just shooting randomly at windows doesn't seem like it yeah. accomplish very much, other than wasting uh, wasting some bullets. Um, right. So uh, he spins around, sees that his uh, his brother and uh, and their mutual nephew are up on the roof. Um, now, Augie, the kid, up until now has thought that Jake was dead. Uh, thought that Jake uh, fell off a cliff. Um, and as uh, as we we established in previous episodes that I've I've been hosting, the screenplay had him instead. Uh, Augie thinks that Jake has been hanged, and Jake has somehow survived a hanging and uh, and come back to rescue him. And uh, they, I think, wisely, you know, d- did not uh, pursue that and said had the out of the uh, the cliff thing. Um, so uh, so we don't get a, a, a big moment of them like, "Hey, Uncle Jake's not dead." Uh, it seems like Emmett never thought that Jake was dead. Like, <laughs> you know, fall off a cliff? No way. My brother's cliff proof. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so they uh, they ride back. Augie uh, is a bit nervous to jump off the roof and onto the back of the horse, um, but he does. Um, I, I watched that moment uh, 
I, I, I slowed it down to pause it the best I could. Uh, you know, probably an adult stuntman doing the uh, doing the actual jump. Um, uh, you know, probably a woman, I would guess, just because you know to get someone uh, small enough. Um, but uh, but edited well enough that you don't really notice it unless you're really looking for it. I'm, I'm literally, as we're doing here, I'm scrolling through, and yeah, that, that person that's jumping down is probably six feet tall or so. <laughs> their feet are almost on the horse, and I think their head is still above the uh, veranda there. So they're, uh, <laughs> that's a pretty good stunt double. But like you said, it happens pretty quick, and they, you know. Kaz, and you're picking that up from people like Spielberg and Lucas. Last time I, I watched uh, New Hope and watched the cantina scene, I feel like if they lingered for a second longer on some of these creatures, you would notice, you know, how, you know, how low budget and, and, and fake so many of these costs were. But it's it's so beautifully spliced together. I guess that's actually uh, uh, Marshall Lucas, right, doing, doing that rather than... Uh, George, but, but um, and every, everything in this movie has a good payoff, right? Like we see Augie earlier in the movie. There's a, a whole this sort of quick scene, but a poignancy where he's trying to do tricks, right? Trying to yeah. jump onto a horse from the porch. And so every, everything has a payoff in this movie. You know, very, yeah. everything, there, there are a million stories, but everything is really beautifully and specifically tracked. Yes, yeah. It's yeah, very, very beautifully done. And, you know, and, and sometimes that does mean that you have to get a super quick moment of like, oh, Mal just sort of accidentally killed the guy who killed his, his father. Um, but, uh, but, you know, but it still is, you know, paying off what is, uh, what has been set up um so and then uh payton rides by uh with another horse for emmett uh, we don't see emmett jumping off the roof next time we just sort of see him on the horse i guess we can you know <laughs> we, we can fill in that particular blank ourselves uh and they uh and uh and then the last uh moment of the minute is uh mal riding sort of join the four of them um as as one remaining cowboy fires at somebody um to uh, uh to no particular uh, avail because clearly the uh, the heroes have have won this chapter of the movie so we're all we're all feeling pretty positive about uh, about this movie and this experience and uh, uh yeah i mean yeah. i think it's uh like i remember it uh like i was saying like i saw it in in my youth but i hadn't seen it in years like i didn't it wasn't one that I sought out, but I do remember it always being on and it being a new Western, and my dad really, really appreciated it. So yeah, I kind of bonded with my dad as well. By the way, uh, first off, like Kevin Costner gets his horse on the porch. Aside from shooting, no, yeah, look, not, not even no able to hold onto the reins to get the horse to jump up on the uh, on the porch. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then the last bit, there's so many cows, like they're kind of like you know how people would have a shootout and like uh, like buy a car and like be guarded by like oh I'm fine because I have a car between the shootout. Here they have a whole mess of cows. <laughs> yes, it's, it's like it's like wearing you know fifty leather jackets between you and the police. Uh, <laughs> yes, the um, and you know and you know now you want to shoot a cattle stampede. You gender do CGI. Maybe have a couple of cows. Mostly it's it's probably CGI. Right. To, you know right um, now to have a cattle stampede. They had a cattle stampede. That was you know it was just real real cows doing their cow thing. I could not shake that the entire time watching it. I thought, this is, how do you do this? How do you film a cattle stampede? How, how long did this section take? You know, to, to, you're trying to tell a story through this, right? But you're dealing with a bunch of dudes on horses, first of all. Just riding a horse is hard enough. But then to have, what, 100, 200 head of cattle just willy-nilly doing what they're... I mean, I would love to see how they're, you know, corralling that. How long are they able to... 
you know, how, how long of a shot are they able to do? You know, how much footage can they get before they have to reroute the cattle or bring things back? You know, unbelievable. I, I, I just don't know. I mean, and they make the horse, like Kevin Costner, I was trying to think of how many, how many horsey, how many horsey movies has he done where he had to ride? Yeah. He's, he's a really amazing horse rider, right? I mean, there's just no, no bones about it. He may have even done his own stunts with the horse. Maybe did it was it sure looked like him. Yeah, like, I mean, let's see. I mean, the in what we saw today, his back's to the camera when he goes up on the verandas. That certainly yeah. could have been a, a double for right. that. Um, but yeah, otherwise, I think yeah, I think it's him uh, riding around. Yeah, he rides up next to that porch. He stops the horse. You know, I mean, it's like he's he's got control. Yeah, you know, entirely you know controls the horse to do the jump onto the porch via his thighs. I guess that must be because you know, he's riding bareback. At least the character is. Well, I'm I'm glad that I could uh, bring this movie into your life, Steve, and uh, and bring it back into yours, Tom. Um, any other thoughts about uh, this moment before we uh, we talk a bit about plugs and uh, and, and projects and and so on? No. Um, yeah. The the point of like Augie, like he's like, come on, come on, and. Uh, he gets down again. Like I want to, I haven't, I don't have the image right near me, but I'm like, yeah, that's a cut. You know, I mean, bringing a kid into a movie like this, you know, does underscore how much, like we were talking earlier about the, 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 the father and son, the way that sort of Western tradition have, have, have been passed yeah. on is that you know, if you view this with Augie as your point of view character, and I don't think many people would because he's not in that much of the movie, but, you know, it is possible at least then you know, then you're a kid who gets caught up in this great adventure with your super cool uncles. Uh, your, your, your dad's not quite cool enough to be, uh, to do this, but your, your uncles are. Why Batman has Robin, and that the you know the the, the fantasy of, of getting to go on the adventure with the big kids is uh, is is a big one, and certainly humanizes those guys, and you know it adds a really touching aspect. I mean, they really point up how affectionate they are with him, how how beloved they are to him, and and how much they care for him, and and want to take care of him, and um, so you know that it, it actually. It, it, I think it's something special about this particular Western where they're not just sort of these. Uh, we love them because they're they're criminals, but they're good guys at heart and they're fun. They actually they love their family. They look after them. They want to do things the right way. And um, yeah, yeah, it's a special. And, and uh, as as a dad myself, you know, it's sort of like no, maybe I'll teach my son to jump on the back of a horse. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'll need to learn to ride one myself first, but uh, I've taught him enough knockback jokes. I should move on to something a little more practical. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and, and the actor who plays Augie is still working. Um, he uh, a couple years after this, he was one of the kids in Honey, I Shrunk the Kid, um, and uh, and is still working as an uh, as an adult actor. You know, not one of those tragic child actor endings that uh, so many of them have. Um, all right, excellent. So, uh, so Tom, this episode is probably going to be airing um, in uh, uh, you, you know the middle of 2022. So uh, there'll be a, a whole new season of, uh, of theater coming up uh, that fall? Yes. Um, I'm, I'm uh, reading plays right now for it. Um, but again, I'd like this year, like not, never, we never did like huge cast shows, but we're trying to keep them small, intimate. Um, so I'm looking at three-person plays, uh, like, uh, in two-person plays, because, one, like, let's hope this um, uh, pandemic will pass, but, like, we want everybody safe, you know? 
So, uh, again, like, part of my job, because somebody had the idea to do Scotland, England, and Wales, um, I have to, like, space out the shows. Um, like, for the, when we first started, we almost entirely did Irish shows. And then it was like, oh, well, let's do a, a Welsh show or a Scottish show. And uh, now it's part of my uh, mandate to try and do every culture, uh, but we only produce three main stage shows a year, and we have four cultures, so I'm looking for a Scottish play because we haven't done in a while, one one in a while. <laughs> for a Scottish play, not the Scottish yeah, play. I was going to yeah, say, no, no, of course not. I, I think Shakespeare wrote a Scottish play. And and Steve, uh, so uh, the uh, how how is the Unsolved Mysteries podcast as a as a gig? Was, was the original part of your youth? Absolutely, one thousand percent. And and I talked to a lot of people. It's like, why were we allowed to watch that <laughs> terrifying show as children? I mean, you know, when they, whenever they put a mug shot up and Robert Stack would come on, you, I, I can still remember some of those images, and I can feel my hands clutching the carpet in my living room floor. You know, what, what am I watching? What am I watching? So, absolutely, part of it. And then it just you know, one day I got this audition for they're doing a podcast of unsolved mysteries, and they're looking for a new host, and I thought. Geez, I would hate to be the guy that has to try to follow Robert Stack and, you know, later Dennis Farina. And, and um, somehow I ended up booking this thing, and they've just been incredible. I work when I record. I work directly with Terry Dunmuir, who is one of the original producers. And she is as, you know, precise and exacting and open-hearted as, as anyone you can imagine. I mean, she can literally recall every case they've ever done. That's um, it's it's amazing. So, and, and you know, the, the other crazy thing about it that, that you sometimes forget is like yeah it's real people these are real stories and so we'll do an episode and then i'll have you know the, the, i remember this tragic story about a, a a murder in a bank and the one of the people that that was murdered her son who was featured in the episode wrote reached out to me and wrote to me to tell you know to say how much it meant to them that we had covered his mother's story and and it's so it's really it's a heavy gig in that regard. You know, I work with a bunch of wonderful people um, and I just sort of come in at the end. They've had the episodes produced. They've done their interviews, their research, everything, you know, and I'm, I'm just the guy telling the story. But it's really it's an amazing responsibility. And I'm, I'm so honored by it. And, you know, meeting people around people listen to it around the globe. I get people from from all parts of the earth saying, hey, love the podcast. And, you know, can't wait to keep listening. So, uh, um Hopefully by the time this comes out, there will be a, we just wrapped our first season, but hopefully by the time this comes out, there'll be a season two, fingers crossed, and uh, download it wherever you get, wherever fine podcasts are, uh, are listened to. Excellent. Well, thank you for, you know, taking some time apart from, you know, telling, you know, telling real life stories of, uh, of, of violence and, and horror to, to join, to uh, take part in some, uh, so, some, some fun shoot 'em up uh, action violence uh, for, for pure entertainment value. All right, guys. Well, it was so great to uh, to catch up with you. Uh, so, so great to you know do this not uh, in, in sweltering uh, July heat uh, <laughs> and, uh, in uh, in heavy costumes. And uh, and we'll uh, we'll have to uh, to to uh, talk together without letting other twenty years go by. Yes. All right. So, Thanks so much, guys. And I will see you, listeners, at the outro. <laughs>
Well, not quite so fast there, Dean. It's not time to throw to the outro just yet, because we have one other little treat. My cousin Jess has an interesting, I think, story about uh, Lawrence Kasdan's work, uh, and I wanted to uh, stick in this very brief conversation she and I had about it. So I'm here with my cousin Jess, who has an interesting uh, Lawrence Kasdan story from her childhood. Uh, So when I was maybe four or five, we rented a house in Cape Cod for a week. And there wasn't a ton for me to do because I was a terrible swimmer. I'm significantly younger than my siblings, so I was sort of left to my own devices. Um, And the the house that we were staying in had one or two uh, movies on VHS, one of which was The Big Chill. And so for whatever reason, I decided that I needed to watch this over and over and over and over again. And I think, you know, for a while, it, it briefly supplanted Seven Brides for Seven Brothers as my favorite movie. Um, <laughs> this is definitely not a movie that four-year-olds <laughs> watch in general. No, and I had no idea what it was about. I think it wasn't until I was, you know, in college that I realized it was a movie about suicide. Um, I knew it was a movie where uh, one of the Tillies did some acrobatics and they played football and they danced in the kitchen. And that's literally all I've retained from it. But and, I, and that was enough to that make me sit this entire... It's a two-hour movie, right? Yeah. It's, not, it's not a short oh, movie. Oh, yeah, no, God knows how many times I watched it, but it was just sort of... I, I feel like that was my vacation, was just watching The Big Chill. Is this a <laughs> cherished memory or a what-a-weird-kid-I-was memory for you? I mean, they tend to sort of overlap. Okay. All right. <laughs> Have you seen the movie again recently? No. Um, I think I've seen part of it since, but, you know, not since I've sort of maintained any sort of... And you're not becoming a Lawrence Kazan devotee because of this experience? I have experience. not. I have right. not, I'm afraid. All right. Thank you very much. You're welcome. <laughs> thank you, Jess, and uh, thank you to whichever of uh, either her children or mine were uh, making those sounds in the background there as I interviewed her during a quiet moment at family Thanksgiving. Well, folks, that wraps up this episode. You can find me on social media. I am at Dino Carroll on Twitter. I am at Dino Carroll Plays on Instagram. And, of course, this podcast is also available um, on social media. Uh, You can find it at uh, the Midnight Star, the Silverado Minute Listener Saloon on Facebook. And on Twitter, it's at Silverado MXM. Of course, the podcast itself is on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Play. Or over at our main site, SilveradoMinute.com. Well, folks... Please join us next time here on the Silverado Minute. Yeehaw.